Welcome to I Got Geologicals. Not bad, right? I mean, not good, but I have yet to find a two to nine year old whose face didn't melt right off when I talked to him using that voice. And again, not even that good. First off, talking like that really, really hurts my voice after just a few minutes. And you can't really understand what I'm saying. I mean, try it yourself. So I give props to Clarence Charles Ducky Nash for his voice work on Disney's classic character, Donald Duck. But he, too, can sometimes be difficult to understand. Conversely, Mel Blanc's characterization of Warner Brothers' Daffy Duck is a bit more coherent, with the occasional spitting lisp when calling Bugs Bunny despicable. Now, I am admittedly more of a Looney Tunes guy than a Disney guy when it comes to cartoon laughs, and I proudly worked as a sales associate in a few Warner Brothers Studio stores during my teenage years when they existed. Looney Tunes are edgier, more mischievous, and the main characters are not perfect angels. When Bugs Bunny ties Elmer Fudd's double-barrel shotgun into a bow and it damn near blows his face off, Bugs casually remarks, Ain't I a stinker? Constantly. And a good majority of online polls would agree with me on this one. Warner Brothers outshines Disney in the cartoon laughs department. But the discussion today is not to decide which of these companies is better. I mean, how would you even quantify that? You can't. You'd have to go category by category. And even then, it is greatly subject to opinion. Here, let's give it a try. Now, forget the argument of who came first and who ripped off whom, because this is show business. The Honeymooners became the Flintstones, which became the Simpsons, which became Family Guy. They all use the same formula to give us unique shows with similar themes, but all great in their own rights. I mean, if a formula works, why mess with it? Just look at Coke 2. And just imagine for one second how many TV shows you've seen in your life that do some kind of take on either Star Wars, It's a Wonderful Life, The Wizard of Oz, or A Christmas Carol. In fact, I seem to recall Woody Allen said something like, imitation is the sincerest form of television. I'd have to concur. Now Disney owns Marvel Comics, which includes Spider-Man, Deadpool, X-Men, and The Avengers. Warner Brothers, on the other hand, owns DC Comics, And their lineup of heroes is Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, and Aquaman. So, in this category, I'm going to have to call it a draw. But Disney probably scores just a little bit higher with their acquisition of the Star Wars franchise in 2012. Now, they didn't create it, but they certainly slapped their name all over it for sure. And I have to hand it to J.J. Abrams and the mouse because these newer Star Wars movies have been pretty good. 
Disney easily takes the crown in the category of animated films with Pinocchio, Dumbo, Bambi, Peter Pan, Aladdin, Cinderella, Mulan, Beauty and the Beast, 101 Dalmatians, Lady and the Tramp, Alice in Wonderland, Robin Hood, The Fox and the Hound, The Little Mermaid, The Lion King. I mean, I could go on forever with this one. And Warner Brothers has The Iron Giant, Quest for Camelot, Thumbelina, Batman vs. Dracula, Rover Dangerfield, which is a play on Rodney Dangerfield. He's like a stand-up dog that wears a necktie. And Space Jam. And none of these films, with the exception of maybe Batman vs. Dracula, which I've never seen before, uh, none of them are really on par with any of the Disney films. However, Warner Brothers did give us the excellent Lego movie and the Lego Batman movie. Disney owns Pixar, which is a huge score, and Warner Brothers owns Hanna-Barbera and the Cartoon Network, so again, I'm not really sure how to score this one. I have to call it a draw. Cartoon Network is awesome, and I miss Space Ghost Coast to Coast so much, and Pixar is some pretty great eye and brain candy too. So again, no winner and no loser in this category. Things get a little tricky when you start talking about their respective theme parks, however. I mean, Disney World theme parks are innovative, extravagant, and clean, perhaps the best part about them. But Warner Brothers has Six Flags amusement parks containing what I truly desire in a theme park, rides, specifically roller coasters. Now, Disney does have them too, The Aerosmith ride at MGM Studios is awesome, but Six Flags simply has more roller coasters. Bigger, faster, scarier, upside-downier. My first upside-down roller coaster was at a Six Flags park with my big brother. It was the Demon at Great America, which was actually once owned by Marriott. But the truth is, I'd visit either park again and have a blast wherever I was. I mean, I like Pirates of the Caribbean. I liked Mr. Toad's Wild Ride when it existed. I mean, I understand if they didn't update those parks a little bit, Epcot would be quite archaic. And I know you are all going to think that I'm just pussing out on answering this one too, but it really is kind of a tie to me. It's whatever you're in the mood for. Wholesome Americana or face-melting joyrides. Walt Disney came on the scene first with Steamboat Willie starring Mickey Mouse in 1928. And it was a massive success. And the Warner Brothers knew that if they were going to compete, they had to establish their own animation department and they accomplished it within two years. But... They really didn't find their breakout star, Porky Pig, until 1935. You heard me right. Porky Pig and Daffy Duck came before Bugs Bunny. By 1940, Walt Disney's Silly Symphonies had also brought in the characters of Mickey's dog Pluto, Donald Duck, and Goofy. Just three years later... Donald Duck 
was polled to be more popular than Mickey Mouse. And amid all this, Disney was also accomplishing his insurmountable and crazy expensive masterpiece, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, the highest grossing film at the time until Gone with the Wind. Frankly, I don't think that Walt Disney gave a damn because he did pretty well for himself and continues to posthumously rake in millions of dollars every single day. Bugs Bunny didn't make his official debut until 1940, and even then, he was just a guest star in a Porky Pig feature called A Wild Hare. Now, comparing the two respective companies' mascots is tricky. It's kind of like comparing a mouse to a bunny. In fact, it's exactly like that. Bug says, what's up, Doc? Mickey says, oh boy. Neither of them is particularly funny. I find that it's far more practical to compare the Disney Warner Ducks instead, who, while literally black and white different, actually have far more in common than you might think, like most black and white contrasts. And this is Triple D's The Daffy Donald Dilemma. <laughs> Daffy Duck is an American black duck with a white ring around his neck who, like Bugs Bunny, first appeared in a Porky Pig hunting short only before Bugs Bunny in April of 1937. And the one with Daffy Duck was called Duck Hunt. And this first outing with Daffy Duck portrays him acting more like an actual duck and even swimming in a lake like a duck and acting a little bit less like the anthropomorphic quack we know today. And these early days of Daffy Duck are my personal favorite because he's just really silly and totally featherbrained. And I love silly stuff. And speaking of silly stuff, there is actually some debate as to what Daffy Duck's full name actually is because he has been addressed with both the middle names Armando and Sheldon on separate occasions, and in the Scarlet Pumpernickel, released in 1950, his middle name is Dumas, in homage to Alexander Dumas, the author of The Count of Monte Cristo and The Three Musketeers, and on Baby Looney Tunes, Granny, voiced by the recently passed June Foray, more on her later, Granny calls him Daffy Horatio Tiberius Duck. So, I guess that you can choose whichever middle name is your favorite. I am going to go with Armando. When Daffy Armando Duck first arrived on the scene, he was, well, Daffy. And he would bounce all over the water shouting, Woohoo! 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 And despite his first encounter with Porky as an enemy, Porky and Daffy would actually go on to be quite the comic duo. 
usually casting Porky as the straight man and Daffy as the comic relief. Scattered curiosity, in 1943, Daffy Duck hit Adolf Hitler on the head with a mallet in Daffy the Commando. And the next year, Daffy outwits Hitler in the animated short playing Daffy. And ever thereafter, Daffy Duck became the mascot for the 600th Bombardment Squadron. Bonus curiosity, Bugs Bunny also took on Hitler in one of his shorts called Hair Meets Hair. I don't think that Mickey Mouse was at Dunkirk. In the decade between 1953 and 1964, a shift happened at Warner Brothers and Daffy got a little less silly and scrawny and a little more scruffy and angry when Bugs Bunny became the clear star of Looney Tunes. And the animators decided to make Daffy Duck a rival to Bugs Bunny, who was consciously aware that he was second fiddle to the hair. Sometimes, even breaking the fourth wall and complaining to the animator, who would in turn omnisciently bring down a giant pencil on his head and erase his beak. And this rivalry between Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck finally becomes solidified in the Duck Season, Rabbit Season hunting trilogy, which also starred another Warner Brothers darling, Elmer Fudd, who blows off Daffy's duck bill with a shotgun on more than one occasion, giving birth to Daffy's catchphrase, You're despicable. Now, Daffy would occasionally be paired with Porky again from time to time, but it seems that after World War II, Daffy was just an angrier duck. And by the mid-1960s, I don't think that Warner Brothers quite knew what to do with Daffy, and they tried out new things like pairing Daffy as the rival to the racially insensitive Speedy Gonzalez but that dynamic didn't make as much sense as when they paired Speedy Gonzalez with Sylvester the Cat. Scattered Curiosity, the very last short that Daffy Duck and Speedy Gonzalez appeared in together, see you later, Gladiator, is considered by some to be the worst cartoon that Warner Brothers ever made. And then you have Donald Fauntleroy Duck an American anthropomorphic white duck that was created in 1934, three years before Daffy Duck, who often wears a blue sailor shirt and cap with a red bow tie. But no pants, just a shirt. But for some reason, he does put on a towel when he gets out of the shower. I mean, do ducks even need to dry off? And believe it or not, he has appeared in more films than any other Disney character and was one of TV Guide's 50 greatest cartoon characters of all time. And his introduction to the world came with the Disney cartoon The Wise Little Hen. And by his second appearance, Orphan's Benefit, he was already established as the hot-headed comedic foil to Mickey Mouse but would also be regularly cast in features as part of a trio with Mickey, 
Goofy, and sometimes Pluto. Animators soon realized that Donald Duck worked well as a character in his own right, even without the two other Disney stars, and they even gave him his own film series called Don Donald, which acquainted us to his girlfriend Daisy Duck and his nephews Huey, Dewey, and Louie. More on them in a second. Scattered curiosity, while Donald has Daisy and Mickey has Minnie, the Warner Boys seem to be a little less committed. Although it should be noted that Daffy Duck did have a wife in the 1962 short Quackadile Tears. But Bugs Bunny doesn't seem to have a particular love interest whatsoever. He actually spends a good amount of his time dressing up like ladies and kissing his adversaries Elmer Fudd and Yosemite Sam right on the lips. Maybe Bugs Bunny is a little more progressive than we ever knew. From 1956 until the early 1980s, Donald Duck mostly did educational films and didn't return to theatrical releases until Mickey's Christmas Carol in 1983. Donald's popularity was instead greatly found in the comic books, alongside his perhaps more famous Uncle Scrooge McDuck. And just like Mel Blanc with Daffy Duck, Clarence Ducky Nash was the first person to be the voice of Donald Duck for 50 years because Walt Disney loved his animal sounds, particularly his duck imitations. And Donald Duck's return to theatrical releases in 1983 was actually the last time that Nash would do his voice. Donald Duck is known for having a short temper along with having the contrasting personality trait of having a glass-half-full attitude towards life. And most of the cartoons starring Donald Duck have him in a pretty good mood and very content at the beginning until something ruins his day and he goes totally berserk. He's known as being a bit of a swaggering show-off and is quite good at hockey and fishing. And his catchphrases include, What's the big idea? Ah, fooey. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. And he greets his lady Daisy with a slick, Hiya, toots. In 1943, Donald Duck also faced Adolf Hitler in a propaganda film called Der Führer's Face, where Donald Duck works in an artillery factory in Nazi-land, Nazi Germany, who is forced to salute every time he sees a picture of Hitler. But since the pictures of Hitler are everywhere, he's constantly saluting and getting nothing done. It is later revealed to be a nightmare from which he awakes with renewed love for America. And it won an Academy Award. And after that, Donald Duck was seen on just about every kind of World War II Allied combat plane, as well as becoming the mascot for the Army Air Corps' 309th Fighter Squadron and the U.S. Coast Guard. 
Donald Duck also served in the United States Army in Commando Duck and later served in the U.S. Navy during the TV series DuckTales. How Patriotic. Are you ready to kill me with the puns yet? Much like Daffy Duck, once World War II was over, Donald Duck also seemed to get a little bit angrier and mostly starred in features that had him being pestered and losing his temper with Chippendale or his nephews Huey, Dewey, and Louie. And some critics have actually attributed this extra-sensitive anger to PTSD from being in the war. Donald Duck was honorably discharged from the Army in 1984 with the title Buck Sergeant. And with this ancillary anger now embedded in Donald's character, the Donald-Mickey rivalry starts to look a little bit more like the Daffy Bugs one. Which is why, when you're singing the Mickey Mouse theme song, sometimes kids will shout back, Donald Duck! Remember, as early as 1938, Donald was more popular than Mickey at the polls. Quite literally, in Finland, where it is a popular practice to write in the name Donald Duck as a candidate during elections when a voter doesn't like the choices. And while Donald has starred in more cartoons than Mickey, he is most popular in comic books worldwide and enjoys great fame in many countries of Europe, including Italy, Greece, the Netherlands, Germany, Iceland, Sweden, Denmark, and Norway. In fact, in Scandinavia, Donald Duck is more widely recognized than Mickey Mouse. The comics debuted just one year after Donald's first appearance in 1937, and they really began to focus on growing the Duck universe in the city of Duckburg and expanding their cast of characters, including the first-generation Humperdinck Duck and Hortense McDuck, second-generation Lulu Bell Loon and Scrooge McDuck. Donald is part of the third generation, along with Dudley D. Duck and rival girlfriends Donna and Daisy Duck. And then, of course, the fourth generation, Huey, Dewey, and Louie. And here's a few more of Donald's relatives whose names I just love to say. Agnes McDuck, Dingus McDuck, Fergus McDuck, Hugh McDuck, Matilda McDuck, Molly Mallard, and Sir Quackley McDuck. And that is just scratching the surface. The McDuck clan is huge. But not every duck in Duckburg is related. Don't forget Scrooge's rivals, Flintheart Glomgold and Magicka Dispel. Scattered curiosity, in 1979, Macho Duck became Donald Duck's one and only disco hit. Not to be confused with Rick D's 1977 Disco Duck. And in 2005... Donald Duck got his own star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame alongside other fictional childhood favorites such as Mickey Mouse, Bugs Bunny, 
Woody Woodpecker, The Simpsons, Winnie the Pooh, Kermit the Frog, Big Bird, Godzilla, Tinkerbell, Snoopy, Shrek, and Snow White. But not Daffy, though. Disney definitely wins in this category. Now, I think it is important to point out what else Daffy and Donald bring to the table just by their very existence. And this is where it's going to sound like I favor Donald Duck. But you have to admit that there are a lot of iconic characters that would not be if there were no Donald Duck. Hubert Duck, Deuteronomy Duck, and Lewis Duck. Better known to you as Donald's nephews, Huey, Dewey, and Louie. They, too, are anthropomorphic American white Peking ducks who made their first appearance in the Donald Duck newspaper comic strip in 1937. They were initially introduced as pranksters who would provide fuel to one of Donald's classic temper tantrums, but they later evolved to be three junior woodchucks, kind of like Boy Scouts, who were quite intuitive assets to their great Uncle Scrooge's treasure hunting adventures. The boys wear different colored baseball caps and shirts, now, and a scattered curiosity to be able to tell which is which. According to Dave Smith in the book Disney A to Z, quote, Note that the brightest hue of the three is red, Huey. The color of water, Dew, is blue, Dewey. And that leaves Louie, and leaves are green. And the three of them are named for Huey Long, the Kingfish 40th governor of Louisiana who was assassinated in 1935, Thomas Dewey, the district attorney of Manhattan, and Louis Schmidt, a Disney studio animator. And, like their uncle, they wear shirts, but no pants. In fact, the shirt and hat colors actually weren't even officially set until the 1980s. Before that, the colors that they were wearing were really just left up to the artists and animators who would sometimes include yellow and orange. And oftentimes, all three boys were dressed in all red, making them impossible to distinguish from one another which easily incited a confused comic Donald Duck outburst. And Donald's nephews were far more popular than Mickey Mouse's two nephews, Ferdy Fieldmouse and Morty, who I never even heard of until doing research for this episode. And some excellent variations on Huey, Dewey, and Louie's names in other languages are Knat, Fnat, and Tjat in Swedish, Tick, Trick, and Track in German, Riri, Fifi, and Lulu in French, Qui, Quo, Qua in Italian, Billy, Willy, and Dilly in Russian, Rip, Rap, and Rup in Danish, Tupu, Hupu, and Lupu in Finnish, Hinko, Dinko, and Vinko in Croatian. I mean, and these are only just a few of them. Now, one thing that I've always wondered about Huey, Dewey, and Louie 
is why they seem to always be living with their Uncle Donald or Uncle Scrooge. Are they orphans? Were their parents abusive and the kids just had to be hauled off by child services? Well, it turns out, according to the Duckburg, Calisota universe, yes, Calisota is the state in which Duckburg is located. And Huey, Dewey, and Louie are the sons of Donald's sister, Della Duck. Though in one cartoon titled Donald's Nephews, she's actually called Dumella Duck. But maybe that's just what Donald called her when they were ducklings themselves. You know, sibling rivalry, Dumella. And when the three nephews were first introduced theatrically, they were just supposed to be briefly visiting their Uncle Donald. But in the comics, they were staying a little bit more long-term with Donald Duck after they had sent their father to the hospital by putting fireworks under his chair. And from that point forward, the parents of Huey, Dewey, and Louie were just kind of phased out and were never mentioned again. Scattered curiosity, on more than one occasion in the comic books, artists would sometimes accidentally add a fourth nephew into a frame that wouldn't get noticed until after publication. The fourth duck gaff happened so much, in fact, that they decided to even give him a name. Fooey Duck. So sometimes it's Huey, Dewey, Louie, and Fooey. But the trio would win a place in my heart forever in the television show DuckTales, where animators once again shed the boys of yet another close relative by enlisting their Uncle Donald Duck in the United States Navy and having the boys live with their fabulously wealthy great Uncle Scrooge. And while DuckTales only lasted 100 episodes, I am delighted to tell you that it is actually coming back. And this year, 2017, with new episodes and one of my favorite comedians, Bobby Moynihan, will be playing the part of Louie. Scattered curiosity, Huey, Dewey, and Louie actually had another series after the original DuckTales called Quack Pack, and in that one, they were actually teenagers. But for the new DuckTales series, they will revert back to their younger selves. No word on whether Fooey Duck will make an appearance. I kind of hope that he does. And what a great new but not new character to explore, huh? The 1988 Disney film, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, really brought all the cartoons together into the same universe with Toontown. There's the infamous nightclub scene of dueling pianos being played back-to-back by Daffy and Donald Duck. Huey, Dewey, and Louie can also be seen on a newspaper that is framed in Eddie Valiant's office. And... Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse make cameos as well. And I loved Roger Rabbit when it first came out, and I saw it just recently on TV, and I'd say that it holds up to the test of time for sure. And this idea of all the cartoons living together in Toontown was the biggest cartoon crossover until the totally lame 1990s anti-drug PSA 
cartoon all-stars to the rescue, with an introduction by then-President George H.W. Bush, and the feature has cameos by Papa Smurf, Garfield, Alf, Winnie the Pooh and Tigger 2, Alvin and the Chipmunks, Slimer, Baby Kermit, Piggy, and Gonzo from Muppet Babies, Bugs Bunny, Huey, Dewey, and Louie, and only one of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Michelangelo. And cartoons existing in the same universe is a concept that South Park really ran with expertly in their Imagination Land trilogy. And why shouldn't these cartoons live in the same universe? Some of the voice actors that brought most of our beloved characters to life worked for both studios, and many of them have quite impressive resumes. I have been fascinated with cartoon voice talent my whole life, and I lived for Saturday morning cartoons as a kid. Mel Blanc alone voiced over 400 characters, including... Bugs Bunny, Porky Pig, Tweety Pie, Sylvester the Cat, Speedy Gonzalez, Yosemite Sam, Foghorn Leghorn, who's one of my favorites, I'll say, I'll say, I'll say, Barney Rubble, Dino Flintstone, Heathcliff, and, of course, Daffy Duck. And after Mel Blanc died in 1989, some other voiceover royalty would fill Daffy's beak, including Maurice LaMarche in Tasmania and Billy West on Hysteria. And speaking of Billy West, let's stop and give some props to this super talented guy who was both Wren and Stimpy, Doug Funny and Roger Klotz on the Nickelodeon cartoon series Doug. He's been cast as an M&M and the Cheerios Honey Bee in commercials but my love affair with Billy West comes with Philip J. Fry, Professor Farnsworth, Dr. Zoidberg, and Zap Brannigan on Futurama. Maurice LaMarche is also on Futurama as Kiff Croker, Calculon, Lur, Morbo, the Donbot, Hedonism Bot, and the Horrible Gelatinous Blob. You may also recognize his voice to be that of Orson Welles in perhaps my favorite Tim Burton film, Ed Wood, which paved the way for Maurice to play the part of Brain in Pinky and the Brain, who also sounds a lot like Orson Welles. And not to go too off topic here, but if you haven't heard the clip of Orson Welles berating this copy that he was reading to a sound engineer while recording an ad for Frozen Peas. I mean, you have to go on YouTube and listen. He's totally condescending and awesome. And make sure to listen to the longer version, too. Just type into the search engine, Orson Welles, Frozen Peas ad. You'll get to it. Maurice LaMarche also played Chief Quimby on Inspector Gadget, Egon Spengler on The Real Ghostbusters, George Wilson and Roth on Dennis the Menace, Pepe Le Pew in Space Jam, the single greatest actor of all time, Alec Baldwin in Team America, and Mortimer Mouse on Mickey Mouse Works. So you see, right there, 
he worked with both studios. Now, I may not find a more opportune episode of Scattered Curiosities to give praise to some of these voiceover geniuses, so I'm just going to do a quick rundown of some of my favorites. Dan Castellaneta has got to be number one in my book with Homer and Grandpa Simpson, Barney Gumble, Krusty the Clown, Mayor Quimby, Groundskeeper Willie, Hans Mole Man, Sideshow Mel, Gil Gunderson, Kodos the Alien, and Itchy the Mouse on The Simpsons, as well as the Robot Devil on Futurama. Tress McNeil, a Chicago native, go Cubs, is the current voice of Daisy Duck and is a master ensemblist on The Simpsons, giving voice to Agnes Skinner, Lindsay Nagel, Dolph the Bully, Cookie Kwan, Lunch Lady Doris, and the Crazy Cat Lady on The Simpsons, as well as a different Crazy Cat Lady on Futurama, along with the characters of Mom and Tinny Tim. She, too, has worked seemingly everywhere. With Warner Brothers, she was Babs Bunny and Marsha the Martian on Tiny Toons. On Nickelodeon, she was Charlotte Pickles and Sally Payson on Rugrats. She sang with Weird Al Yankovic in the I Love Lucy Tony Basil parody song called Ricky. And with Disney Studios... She voiced Kanga in Winnie the Pooh and also Swan White and Queen Griselda on DuckTales. Don Messick was Scooby-Doo, but he also gave us Droopy Dog, Boo Boo Bear, Hampton J. Pig from Tiny Toons, Bam Bam Rubble, Astro from the Jetsons, Benton Quest from Johnny Quest, Ricochet Rabbit, Zorak in the original Space Ghost, Adamant, Papa Smurf, Azriel, and Scrooge McDuck's father on DuckTales. Casey Kasem played Shaggy Rogers on Scooby-Doo, which I think technically makes Scooby's last name Rogers, too. Although the internet search that I did cites Scooby-Doo's full name to be Scoobert Whoopsie Doo. Regardless, all of Casey Kasem's voices in cartoons sound just like Casey Kasem counting down those top 40 pop songs of 1986 that reminded us of what summer was all about. Frank Welker was Fred Jones in Scooby Doo, the Mad Cat in Inspector Gadget, Ray Stance in Slimer in The Real Ghostbusters. Two of the Beagle Boys on DuckTales, Big Time and Baggy, a ton of Smurf extras, as well as characters that don't exactly speak words at all. Like the Martians in Tim Burton's star-studded film Mars Attacks, Abu the Monkey in Disney's Aladdin, Snowball 2 and Santa's Little Helper on The Simpsons, and Nibbler on Futurama. John DiMaggio is Bender Bending Rodriguez, Joey Mousepad, and Barbados Slim on Futurama, and is currently in space, in the past, as General Grievous in Star Wars Clone Wars. 
Hank Azaria plays a ton of characters on The Simpsons, like Mo Sislak, Apu Nahasapima Petalong, Chief Wiggum, and Comic Book Guy. And on Futurama, he plays Harold Zoid. And I have actually inexplicably found myself within high-five distance of Hank Azaria a handful of times since I've lived in New York City, but never once had the guts to just simply tell him how awesome that I think that he is. Which is usually what I'll do if I walk by a celebrity in New York City, which does happen from time to time. I have never bothered Louis C.K. in the few times I've passed by him, and he's about the funniest guy on the planet. I did once talk to Alec Baldwin, but only because he was asking me where the exit was. Harry Shearer is Ned Flanders, Smithers, Mr. Burns, Principal Skinner, Reverend Lovejoy, Kent Brockman, Dr. Hibbert, Lenny Leonard, Otto Man, Jasper, and Jebediah Springfield on The Simpsons, just to name a few. Phil Lamar is Samurai Jack and Herney's comrade in Futurama. H. John Benjamin has such a great voice that he doesn't even have to change it between the show's Archer, Bob's Burgers, or his ensemble role in Family Guy. Even Luke Skywalker himself, Mark Hamill, has played the Joker in many different cartoon series and two versions of the newer Justice League series, as well as a handful of voices in Stripperella and Johnny Bravo, Bosco on the short-lived Comedy Central show Brickleberry, and Darth Bane in Star Wars The Clone Wars. Seth MacFarlane is quite schizophrenic on Family Guy, oftentimes in scenes with himself playing multiple characters, like Peter, Stewie, and Brian Griffin, as well as Quagmire, Cleveland Brown, and on his other animated series, American Dad, he does the voices of Stan and Roger Smith. June Foray, who I mentioned earlier, is the queen of voiceovers who just recently passed away in July at the impressive age of 99. And she played so many characters that you will recognize. She was Rocky the Flying Squirrel alongside Bullwinkle, Lucifer the Cat in Cinderella, Squaw in Peter Pan, Jerry's Fairy Godmother on Tom and Jerry, Betty Rubble, Cindy Lou Who on How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Ursula in George of the Jungle, and Grammy Gummy in The Adventures of the Gummy Bears. But where June Foray really helps me tie this episode together is the fact that she is directly connected to both Daffy Duck and Donald Duck. Remember when I mentioned that Daffy had a wife in one episode? Well, she was played by June Foray in the 1962 cartoon Quackadile Tears. June also voiced the Warner Brothers cartoon character Witch Hazel in Daffy Duck's Quackbusters. But what's even more crazy is that she also played Donald Duck's better half, Daisy Duck, 
in the 60s and 70s on Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color. But that wasn't June's only connection to the Duckburg universe. She also voiced Grandma Duck, Ma Beagle, Magica to Spell, and Mrs. Featherby on the oft-mentioned today's series, DuckTales. And DuckTales is really the glue that holds it all together. A personal favorite of my childhood, the cartoon series was a mere four seasons, 100 episodes, the magic number for syndication. DuckTales is based on the Uncle Scrooge comic book universe set in Duckburg and focuses on Scrooge going on treasure hunting adventures with Huey, Dewey, and Louie. And other recurring characters on DuckTales are Scrooge's butler Duckworth, his innovative scientist Gyro Gearloose, the nanny Mrs. Beakley and her granddaughter Webby Vanderquack, and his pilot Launchpad McQuack. Although it's never really explained why none of these cartoon ducks know how to fly. I mean, they're ducks, damn it! Scrooge McDuck's adversaries come in the form of the Beagle Boys, Flintheart Glomgold, and Magicka Dispel. And most of the stories that they are featured in have them trying to steal Scrooge's lucky number one dime, which is said to have brought him all his fabulous wealth. The show's premise starts with Donald Duck bringing the nephews to Scrooge, when Donald gets enlisted in the United States Navy. And much of the voice talent that I mentioned a minute ago have done guest spots on DuckTales, including Frank Welker, Don Messick, Maurice LaMarche, Casey Kasem, and Tress McNeil. And the success of DuckTales helped bring other syndicated Disney shows, including Tailspin, Darkwing Duck, and Chippendale's Rescue Rangers. Scattered curiosity, in 1989, the DuckTales video game that was released for the Nintendo Entertainment System by Capcom was my favorite video game at the time it came out. And I remember playing it in my bedroom and pretending that a bad guy had my family held hostage and the only way that I could save them was to beat the game flawlessly from start to finish in an hour. And I saved them every time. I was a pretty messed up kid, huh? I think that you see where I'm going with this. Scrooge is actually my favorite cartoon duck. I had to wait until now to reveal it to you, or you would have shut this episode off long ago. I mean... I guess technically, if I have to choose Donald or Daffy, I'll have to choose Donald because of the entire third universe that he brings along with him. Scrooge may have actually been what kept Donald relevant all these years, but Daffy Duck will hands down always be the funniest of the Triple Ds. Scrooge McDuck has always been a bit of a mystery to me, because while he is indeed named after Ebenezer Scrooge from Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, he was not created for Mickey's Christmas Carol in 1983 like I always believed. But cut me some slack. I didn't know. I was like five years old. Anyway, 
A Disney temp by the name of Carl Banks created Scrooge McDuck over 35 years earlier in 1947. Scrooge McDuck is a white, Scottish, anthropomorphic Peking duck who wears a top hat, spectacles, a smoking jacket, spats around his bare feet, walks around with a cane, and also wears no pants. And right from the outset, Scrooge McDuck was a greedy old codger and antagonist just like the Scrooge from the 1843 novel. And he was brought in to the Donald Duck comics to help ignite some of Donald's trademark outbursts. Scrooge himself has a short-fused temper, which is in turn unleashed back at Donald, as well as tax collectors and door-to-door salesmen. But it soon became apparent to the animators that an angry old duck isn't much funnier or more entertaining than the angry duck that Disney already had. And Scrooge started to become a far more interesting character as he steadily grew into a penny-wise adventurer, explorer, and sometimes even charitable duck, bypassing Donald's popularity in the duck universe. And in 1952, Scrooge was given his own comic book series that's still in production today. It's called Uncle Scrooge. Scattered curiosity, you know who else is a famous pantsless comic book duck? Marvel Comics, and thereby association Disney's Howard the Duck, who made his first appearance in 1973 and is featured in the 1986 film Howard the Duck alongside Leah Thompson and Jeffrey Jones. But he might be more familiar to you millennials out there for his roles in the movies Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 and 2. Scrooge is old, obviously, but he was old when he was first designed. And if you go by what has been written and said of him, he was born in 1867 and earned his lucky number one dime a decade later. And there is even an official 12-chapter history book written about Scrooge's life titled The Life and Times of Scrooge McDuck that outlines his entire family tree and timeline. Now, Scrooge was not born into his wealth. As a boy, he worked as a boot black in Glasgow, Scotland, and one momentous day, a ditch digger paid him a useless 1875 U.S. dime. Remember, he's in Scotland. After Scrooge shines the digger's boots, Scrooge was furious and he said that nobody would ever get the best of him again, and he vowed from that point forth to be, quote, sharper than the Sharpies and smarter than the Smarties, and that he would work smarter, not harder. And his adventures began at the age of 13 when he was a cabin boy of a ship's crew in Morocco, and he learned Latin, Arabic, and is fluent in Dutch, German, Mongolian, Spanish, Mayan, Bengali, Finnish, and Chinese. And he later finds himself in the Klondike, where he unearths a gold rock the size of a goose egg and 
becomes a millionaire in 12 months. Three years later, he moves to Duckburg. And DuckTales even addresses the fact that Scrooge was from 19th century Scotland, yet offered no explanation for his baffling comprehension of modern 1980s technology. Of course, in a cartoon, this was easily explained with a storyline titled That's No Fable, where Scrooge drinks from the fountain of youth rather than bathing in it, and it doesn't make him younger looking, but keeps him young and healthy inside, shaking that pesky rheumatoid arthritis. Scattered curiosity, because of Scrooge's timelessness, he met Theodore Roosevelt three times in his life, in the Dakotas in 1883, in Panama in 1906, and even once in Duckburg, where his infamous money bin on Kilmotor Hill towers over the duck-filled metropolis. And if you are unfamiliar with Scrooge's money bin, it looks like a 30-story, solid-wall skyscraper that's full of cash, mostly coins, that Scrooge likes to dive into head-first and swim around with. And Family Guy does a great cutaway gag where Peter Griffin dives into Scrooge's money pit and basically breaks all of his bones. It's pretty funny. And if you go into the Duck Universe history, you'll find that Scrooge actually has a relative named Quagmire McDuck. Now, the question as to how much money is actually in the money bin there have been many different figures given throughout the history of Scrooge McDuck as to exactly how much money he is worth. Here are some of the statistics given. The Life and Times of Scrooge McDuck says that he has, quote, five multi-plugillion, nine impossibadillion, seven fantastic a trillion dollars and 16 cents. Though Scrooge's accountant in the TV series DuckTales says that he has, quote, 607 trillion, 386 zillion, 947 trillion, 522 billion dollars, and 36 cents. One of the comics cites him as having, quote, one multiplugillion, nine of squatumatillion, 623 dollars and 62 cents. And yet another comic illustrates one of Scrooge's thought bubbles to be thinking about his 11 octillion dollars. Even Forbes magazine got in on the figures in 2007, and they estimated his value to be a more realistic number at $28.8 billion, which was adjusted just four years later to $44.1 billion. Whichever amount is correct, it is clear that Scrooge accounts for every last red cent. And while I was ducking around on the internet, that's the last pun, guys, I promise, I'm wrapping it up here, but while I was gearing up for this episode, I was looking at other possible duck relations out there, and I came across one that I had nearly forgotten. I am a huge fan of the movie Blues Brothers. I am from Chicago. And do you remember the name of their pipe-smoking bassist with the excellently curly white guy afro? Donald Duck Dunn. 
who was indeed nicknamed so by his father while the two watched Disney cartoons together when he was a kid. Isn't that awesome? Almost as awesome as Donald Dunn himself was. Bass Player Magazine has him on their list of the 100 greatest bass players of all time, who in addition to being in the Blues Brothers Band, was also in Booker T and the MGs, and was a session bassist at Stax Records, where he can be heard playing behind Johnny Taylor, Elvis Presley, Eddie Floyd, on Albert King's Born Under a Bad Sign, Sam and Dave's Hold On, I'm Coming, Otis Redding's Respect, and I Can't Turn You Loose. I don't think that he played on Otis Redding's song Try a Little Tenderness, though, which is too bad because that would have tied Ducky from Pretty in Pink into this whole episode so perfectly. You may remember that John Cryer's character in the movie, Phil Ducky Dale, lip-sang the song for Molly Ringwald's character, Andy Walsh, in the 1986 John Hughes classic. Now, I am certainly not licensed to play any of those songs for you now, so... I release you to the wild frontier of the internet to give them all a listen. Rubber ducky, too. And now for the usual closing spiel. You know the drill, guys. If you are enjoying the show, please, please, please give us a rating or a review on your most favorite podcast listening doohickey. We'll see you next week. to help us keep the curiosities coming please rate us on itunes soundcloud or your favorite podcast platform and don't forget to visit scatteredcuriosities.com for exclusive free downloads and to donate to the show